I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine, bringing you the best in collectibles, movies, music, wrestling, gaming, and more. Check it out at electrifiedporcupine.com. Hey everyone, we're so excited to present this episode to you this week, and we've been excited about it for a few weeks. So what you're going to hear today is links and my interview with Maureen Van Zant. Now, if the Maureen Van Zant name sounds familiar to you, it could be for a number of reasons. Maybe you've seen her on The Sopranos, or maybe it's the Van Zant name that gets you. And yes, it's that very one. She has been married to Stephen Van Zant for over 36 years. Yes, Lynx is going, yes. And uh, there's not a whole lot about her on the internet, but we had a fabulous conversation about her and she really opened up and we had a lot of fun and we got to learn a lot about her. Yeah, and she's such a joy. It was such a lovely conversation. Can't wait to do it again. Definitely want to have Maureen back on. There are so many stories that she told us and so many more. You can tell she's just got tons of them stored away. So that's amazing. And yeah, it was just incredible to hear her talk and to get to know a little more about her. She's an incredible woman. She not only from The Sopranos, but she's been acting and dancing since she was a kid. And she told us about producing and how she's created her own company and not only that, we have much more in common. She's also a podcaster now, and we just we talk about so much, and it's so exciting. Thank you, Maureen. 
Thank you so much, Maureen. Um, we hope that you really like this interview. We learned a lot of things that we were really surprised to find out about. We won't spoil it for you, but little things like who she used to hang out with back in New York when she was just a young teenager, um, how she came to meet Stephen, and all of the wonderful organizations that uh, they're a part of. And I think, you know, one of the most exciting things we have to talk about was this idea of women uplifting women and uh, empowering one another to just go farther and and pursue the life of your dreams. So without further ado, here it is, our interview with Maureen Van Zant. Thank you so much for uh, doing this with us. I, we've been oh, like course. so excited and so like looking forward to this. Maureen, you've, you've had such an incredible life and career and you know, we just want to take it all the way back and go to the beginning. And uh, Shanti, how about you kick it off? I'm going to kick it off. What was Little Maureen like? Were the arts always prominent in your home? Little Maureen was a very difficult little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They were not that prominent in my home. My parents um, were not all that big on the arts, but my grandfather used to take me to Broadway shows. When I was very little, and I remember going to see West Side Story when I was seven, and that made a huge impression on me. I was already in in dance school, and when I saw that, I thought, that's that's it. That's what I want to do. And so I then became more serious about ballet and dancing uh, in general, and that was kind of it. And he would take me to see shows, and and I just was completely in love with all that stuff, and... um, became a serious ballet student because I'm not a singer. You know, I've been in a couple of shows where I had to sing, but it's not really anything you want to hear on my own. Maybe in a group I can get away with it. But yeah, so I um, I think at first I wanted to be on Broadway and then I realized I did not have the you know, triple threat thing going, just dancing and maybe acting, but definitely not singing. So yeah, that that's kind of how it started. And I, I um, I became uh, I, I studied ballet for for many many years. I joined a ballet company when I was seventeen. Um, I did the Broadway show Hair when Amazing. I was about eighteen. Um, I, yeah, I took time off from ballet because it was um, you know it was very very restrictive. Um, you know, not, not artistically, but just in the you know the way you have to live. And I it kind of was really getting to me the the dieting, and I had lost a lot of weight and got really sick, and I just decided to take some time off. And I um, and I went and I did hair because some of my friends were in it, and and they they got me an audition, and it was a blast. Um, and then after that, I went back went back to ballet, and I had always done acting. I I was actually on Broadway when I was a kid in Gypsy. Um, oh, I, I was awesome one. I was quite young. And I just was a little tap dancing baby June. And, but, that, but after that, I didn't do anything in Broadway until, until hair. Yeah. And then after that, it was kind of strictly ballet. And then when I got injured from dancing, I went back to acting and started a theater company and ended up on Sopranos and doing some other stuff. So yeah. it kind of uh, it all like worked out the way it was supposed yeah. to work yeah, cheers out. Cheers to your grandfather for kicking all of that off. That must have been a really special relationship. Now, it was great. And I, I think the real reason he wanted to go is that he liked to go to New York and he liked to go to a restaurant there. <laughs> and uh, nobody else, you know, you know, my family's very Italian-American. They, my grandmother didn't barely want to leave the house. And like I said, a lot of the rest of the family weren't that interested in stuff, and I was. So he would take me along and we'd go for dinner. And I think that was really the thing that he wanted to do, not so much the shows. But anyway, I'm really I'm grateful that he, that he dragged me along because it really um, made a difference in my life. And I love that you were in hair. That just seems like such a like a '60s rite of passage for like any theater um, actor. That's like the the play that you would be in. Yeah, it, it just like I said, sort of happened by accident, and uh, it, it was just you know it was very very different from anything that I'd seen before that anyone had seen before. And um, it, it was really it was great because it it um, addressed all the you know the social issues of the time and you know no play had really done that before so it was really it was an important play and it was also just a lot of fun and wild and crazy and and um, I, I was really I wasn't in it very long but I was really happy that 
that I got to do it because, um, you know, I still love it. I still love the music and listen to it all the time. And, and it's, it's a really good memory. So were you always into music as well? Like if we went back to Teenage Marines room and dug into your record collection, like what albums would we find? Or were you going to concerts? And well, before that, even when I, when I was maybe, you know, seven, eight years old, my babysitter was a huge Elvis freak. So, uh, so I became very, you know, hooked on Elvis because of her. And I was this little tiny thing. I don't even know who he was probably, but I love the music. And I always, always listened to, um, to the radio. You know, I loved all the, you know, the contours, do you love me? And all those early soul songs and R&B songs. And of course, all the pop songs. So I was, I was very musical. I'm not a musician. I can't play an instrument, but I was very musically oriented, I guess, because of the dancing. So I was I was obsessed with music from when I was a kid. And then once the Beatles um, hit when I was 12 or 13, that that was it. You know, what so a time you, for the yeah, Beatles to hit a, when you are 12. Yeah, exactly. I, I always said I was a little too young because I thought I would marry George Harrison, but I was <laughs> too young for him at the time. <laughs> But yeah, so if you went to my room, you'd see, you know, Beatles, uh, Kinks, Searchers, Dave Clark Five, all the British Invasion bands uh, and, and that early part. And, and of course, I always still had the Broadway records because um, I always loved that. Uh, and then a little bit later on down the line, uh, you know, it was Jimi Hendrix and Cream and, you know, the more you know, harder rock, more psychedelic. But yeah, I was I, I listened to everything. I worked in a record store for a little oh, bit. Amazing. So. Yeah, um, you know, because when I was dancing during the summers, you'd get laid off and or the schools were closed. And, and I, I worked in a record store uh, with a couple of friends of mine. Of course, it was another really amazing time because it was nothing but fun. And I got every new record as soon as it came in. So I was, I was in heaven with that. Spent all wages from the record store on records. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I never got a paycheck, I don't think. I just said, okay, I'll take this Birds album, and I'll take this Yardbirds album, and, I, and that, that's what I did. So I, I, I don't think I got paid. I love how when we ask the question of um, kind of who got you into music, I think Babysitter might be a first on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's the earliest I can remember. You know, I always liked to dance, uh, and, and so music was just a really natural thing, and I, I loved rock and roll, and I think it had to have been from seeing Elvis, and she used to, you know, play her records when she babysat me, and she used to bring this little tiny, you know, record player that played 45s, and she'd just play all her songs, and her friends might come over, and they would be dancing, so I learned how to do all the, you know, the dances of that time, and I used to go to this used to be called a soda fountain. That's, you know, that's how old I am. And they would have a jukebox and you could play records and we would all dance in, in, in the place, you know, it was like a, not, not a coffee so shop, fun. like a soda shop. So it was, it was like a really, um, really innocent time. You know, it, it was just all, you know, about having fun with music and, and, you know, music was very poppy back then. So the songs were mostly, you know, they were lighthearted or about broken hearts, but it was, wasn't anything heavy. Were you attending concerts as well? Um, I would say I attended concerts probably when I was in my, my early teens because, you know, my parents would not have let me go to New York. I lived in New Jersey. I did go to see stuff in New Jersey. Um, I, I did go. I went to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium and at Forest Hills Tennis Stadium and lied to my parents and stayed out all night in front of their hotel. They thought I was staying at my friend's house. And I was 12 years old on the street in New York. And um, I, because of the Beatles, you know, they used to do interviews and, and talk about artists that they liked. And they mentioned this guy, James Brown. And of course, I had never heard of him. But it turned out he was playing in my hometown and he was doing the James Brown Review with all these great, you know, classic musicians. So my friends and I, and again, we were like 13, 14, would go to the downtown area of our town and see the show every single day after school. It would oh start God. at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, and, you know, we got to meet him and he took us for a ride in his purple Cadillac. No way. And, yeah. I mean, this is totally insane stuff that, that no one believes, but I was just one of these people that was kind of always there and, and uh, in, in a weird place at a weird time and, and something crazy would happen. That's magic. But yeah, so that those were kind of, and I used to sneak into New York to go to the Mary the Kay shows. I don't know if you know who Mary the Kay is. He was a very famous DJ in the sixties, mm. and he used to call himself the Fifth Beatle. I don't think they thought of him that way, but <laughs> used to, you know, he thought he was, and, and he would play all the records, and they would go on his show, and 
do interviews and, and, you know, he was really, really popular. And he used to do these shows where you'd see maybe 10, 15 of the most popular acts. I mean, I saw The Who and Cream and Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and Attempt all on the same bill, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. So it was just, it was just a crazy time when that, that kind of stuff was happening. And it's, you know, never happened again, I don't think. Wow. Yeah. And I used, you know, later on, I used to go to Fillmore East and, you know, saw everybody there. And, you know, there were some great clubs in Manhattan. There was one called The Scene um, that I hung out with when I was doing hair because it was right around the corner. And that's like Jimi Hendrix hung out there. And like every musician who played in town would go to this club and they would they would get up on stage and and just jam. You know, I saw Jimmy with Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison on stage together, just kind of fooling around. So it was uh it was really special. Like I said, I, I got to be in these great places. I don't know how I ended up there, and, but, but I was lucky. And yeah, did you know at the time that you were standing there looking up and, you know, at Janice, did you know this is really going to be something special one day and people are going to... Oh, well, they were already huge stars then. They were, yeah. Yeah, they would just come and hang out at this club because okay. it was a really cool place and it was a private club. Um, you kind of... they. It was, you know, not like Studio 54, but they kind of w- would only let certain people in. And uh, so it was very private. It was very small. And these people felt very comfortable there because it wasn't like a million fans who would be in there bothering them. It was people that they, you know, the club owners thought would be cool and not, you know, drive anybody crazy. And, yeah, of course, I was, you know, younger than these people, but I was not the type that was going to bother them. And, and so we were there and, and got to know all of them. You know, not Janice so much because she didn't live in, in New York, but Jimmy lived in New York and, you know, all the local artists we we hung out with all the time. So, it, but it was really, so they were big stars. So to see three big stars get up on this teeny tiny stage and just start playing music together was a once in a lifetime thing. That's like my dream right there. Just like to go back in time, like in that era, like in New York, it's just, it sounds so magical. Well, it this- was, it, it was fun. Well, this is as close as you can get, links <laughs> yeah. to actually going back in time like, and being there through, yourself. Live it through the story. Well, it? the only thing is that I get to be older, you know. <laughs> so, you know, that that's one advantage you have. You're not as old as I am, but it's it's okay. I, I wouldn't trade it. You know, I would not have given up any of that stuff. So, dancing um, led you to theater, where you expanded your talents into acting and choreography and producing what are some of your favorite theater experiences oh wow i mean aside from the couple of broadway things that i did um i started my own theater company so we we did a ton of plays and and you know i I have another theater company now with vincent pastor who was on sopranos uh we started one together but years ago I, i had my own company with some other actors and we just did plays that we liked so i got to do all the stuff that I liked, you know, I'd read a play, we'd get the rights, we'd do it. And, um, so I, I can't say one was better than the other because they were all great. Um, one theatrical experience that, that I had that I really loved, and it wasn't really in, in a theater per se, but it was at the United Nations. Um, about three or four years ago, there's a, an Italian, she's a TV presenter and an author, and she's quite well known in Italy named Serena Dandini. She wrote, this amazing play, um, it's called Ferite a Morte, which means wounded to death. And it's about violence against women. And all of the women in the play are dead. And they are talking about how they were killed by their husbands or boyfriends. They all have been victims of, of violence and abuse. And um, she asked me, and she would do it with all-star casts and um, all over the world, and, and the United Nations invited her to do it there, and she, I was one of the lucky people that she asked to do it. Um, and, you know, for me, that was probably the most meaningful theatrical thing I've done, even though I've I've gotten to play, you know, Tennessee Williams characters, which uh, I adore. Me too. Um, you know, my all my favorites, I got to play Blanche and, you know, Cat in the Hot all those, I did get to do them, so... So that that was my dream in acting was to do that stuff. But I think as far as something that I'll never forget, you know, it was just so emotional, you know, to have, you know, one. Yeah. One by one, all of us go up there and deliver a monologue of someone who had been killed and was speaking from beyond. So, you know, I'm going to say that that's my favorite. 
Uh, and it's amazing because that's actually on YouTube. I mm-hmm. got to watch you do that, and it was so powerful. Uh, so if anyone's listening and wants to check that out, definitely do that because it was it was really amazing. Yeah, I think the whole thing is on there. I haven't watched the entire thing, but it, it was you know I got to sit there and witness it all because we were all on stage together, and uh, everyone was great. There were pe- and and they didn't use just actresses; they used people that. Uh, you know, one woman was an author, um, you know, Amanda Palmer, the performance artist, she did it. Um, a, a lot of interesting women, which was really cool. Abigail Disney, who's a film director and producer, and Nona Hendricks did it, which was really cool because I, you know, I know Hendricks, uh, no, Nona Hendricks for years, and she's fantastic. So it was a really interesting group of women to hang out with because they weren't all actors, they weren't all musicians, they were from every area of, of the arts and politics and it, it was just a cool experience well, interesting groups of women is right up our alley right on the top of our interest uh list oh yeah i mean i i really love working with women and i i really hate when you know people think that women are competitive with each other because i think you find the right group and and there's nothing like it you know it's just you know it's great to be supported by women and um you know, in our theater company now, it's mostly men, and, and I, I'm always really grateful to get to work with, with the women. Cool. Uh, and, yeah, so you've had, like, so many successful um, moments in your career, and you also have one of the most successful marriages that I can think of. You're hitting 36 years, is that right? We were married in 1982, yeah. Oh, and we're together for a few years before that, so... So, yeah, so 30, yeah, we just did 35 on uh, this past New Year's Eve. Yeah, wow. that, that's when we got married. <laughs> uh, would you be okay sharing the story of how you and Stephen met? Sure. Um, we kind of met really briefly. A friend of mine uh, was on a softball team with Bruce and Stephen and a lot of the E Street members in New Jersey. And he, he said to me, oh, you know, you've got to meet these guys. They're really great. And I was like, you know, I, I don't really care about sports. I don't want to see any <laughs> softball game. Uh, and he kind of dragged me to New Jersey. And, um, and so I, you know, I went to this game and, and I, I met the guys then and it was, you know, it was fine. They were, they were nice, but nothing really, you know, came, came a bit after that. And then when Bruce did that 10 days at the bottom line, I don't know if you know about this. It was a while ago. It was 1975. It's when he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek, and all of a sudden he became, you know, everyone thought an overnight star, but he had, of course, been working for many years and had a couple of records out already. But it was when Born to Run came out. They did a 10-night um, run of shows at a club called The Bottom Line. So, again, my friend said, you have to come to the show. And for some reason I went. I guess it was destiny. And no that's where I kind of really, you know, got to talk to Stephen and meet him, uh, you know, in a more private way. And but we didn't start going out until maybe two years later because I, I was going out with somebody else then. And, and it just, you know, things just it wasn't the right time. But then a couple of years later, he looked me up again and then we started going out. Oh, he did. Did he? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Right. He kind of, my friend told me that he kept track of things and kept saying to him, like, is she still with that guy? Oh. And, and as soon as he found out it wasn't, then, <laughs> then he called me. Good. He knew he knew what he wanted. Yeah, there was he there was, was no you know Facebook, Twitter, or any of that stuff. So he he had to ask somebody. There was there was no way he could track me down any other way. <laughs> Amazing. I've heard that you, the two of you, had the most rock and roll wedding ever. With it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first of all, uh, little Richard was the minister, so it doesn't get any more <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> I don't need to say anything else right? after that. <laughs> So like he performed the, the ceremony, um, and, Stephen's idea, and he tracked him down, and he was, you know, he was very happy to do it, and it was, it was as surreal and bizarre as you can possibly imagine. And the E Street Band did a full show at the at the reception. Um, a lot. Of Percy Sledge sang <laughs> when, when a man, man loves, loves a woman. A woman. <laughs> yeah, uh, when we walked out, I think. Uh, yeah, when we walked out. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of, you know, a lot of Stephen's favorite blues artists playing there. We got married in this place called Harkness House, which is a beautiful townhouse in in New York in the Upper East Side. And it's actually um, 
there was a woman who was a patron of the arts, Rebecca Harkness. She donated this building to a ballet company. And so it was this very beautiful building with, you know, chandeliers all over the place and very fancy. And they used to rent it out. So we used it for the wedding. And it was three floors and we had music on every floor. And I don't remember most of it. And it wasn't because I was (laughs) drunk or high or anything. It was just it was just completely weird. So but everybody (laughs) tells me they had a really good time. I bet. What a party. God. Yeah, it was it was it was really, you know, I wish I were there. You know, that that's what <laughs> I always say. I wish I could. You know, I see pictures from it. And and someone did uh, video the whole thing. And, and uh, I've got to get hold of this again because I did have a copy and I don't know what happened to it. But yeah, uh, you should track that. I'm down. Try to this out one of these things. I know. I mean, I know who did it. So I think I can get it. Nice. Well, well, you've- You've got to live one of my sort of ultimate rock and roll dreams of getting up on stage and dancing with Brewster and dancing in the dark. And I'm sure you've probably got to do that multiple times. Uh, I was curious. Actually, twice and just fairly recently. Yeah. That's like a dream right there. Well, you tell Bruce if he's ever looking for two dancing partners coming to Toronto. I'm sure he would love it. Uh, we were also curious, do you have like any other, you know, memorable rock and roll moments that you look back on and are just like, wow, that was amazing. Oh my God. There, there's just, there's so many of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I have a feeling she's got a couple. <laughs> I, I feel like I got, you know, to see all of the, the people that I really loved and admired and, you know, got to be friends with, with some of them. And I mean, I, you know, I, I used to hanging out with Jimi Hendrix and I went clothing shopping with him and um, I used to date his drummer so that and so I would be in the studio so I used to be in the studio with them and you know when I was there at the night electric lady studios opened and I used to you know because the guy was my boyfriend at the time I used to go to the studio and hang out and so I got to you know that was that was probably the most amazing thing for me to to watch these guys working and and then after Jimmy passed away, which wasn't long after the studio opened, they mixed the records that he had recorded. So I got to sit in on a lot of those sessions. And and that was really great. And I and while I was there, Stevie Wonder came in one night and he sang my Sherry Amore to me and had me sit at the piano next to him. It was the first time he was going to record it. Um, so, I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. Like, I, I can't even remember, you know, half half of the stories, but... Uh, they're um, all in you know, there a lot of somewhere. people always say to me, "You should yeah. write a book." But I, I, I may one day. I've I've been keeping a list of a lot of these moments, and maybe going to write some essays about it—just stories, not like a book, book. But that was one hundred percent on our list of questions, and it was pretty much like, "When is this memoir coming out?" Because well, see, I, I. I don't yeah. think I can do that because I don't think I'm important enough to to write a book and that you Disagree. know no one would care. No but way. I, but that's what. But I thought I could just write the stories, you know, because I don't think anybody cares about you know I was born here and I grew up here and I did this and that. I don't think people are really that interested unless you're really a celebrity. But I think the stories are are fun and and they're interesting. So well, so that I'm I'm I am you know I've got a little list that I, that I keep of all the stories that I that I want to write. Well, our podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of women like you. I mean, there is no one who is just like you, but there are people interested and there's a whole niche. And so your upbringing, that's why we started with tell us about little Maureen, because people want to know how did you, how did she become that go-getter and how did this lead to that? And these little stories are people just and like us, we yeah. do eat them like cookies. <laughs> Love them. Oh yeah. Well, someday we'll we'll sit down and have tea, and I'll you know I'll tell you <laughs> a, a lot of the other ones. And I, I also felt that I could never write a book and you know give secrets away about people. Like I would never tell anything that was really personal. Of course. And I know to do that kind of book, you kind of have to do it. Like I'm not going to write a book and say, oh yes, um, you know, Mitch Mitchell was my boyfriend and he did this to me and he, you know, and we had a fight. You know, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't really appeal to me. And I, you know, it's not the way I would like to present myself or present the other people. So if I do it, it would just be something that's fun. Yeah, like a this fun of story. Happens. 
Yeah, like this fun thing happened to me. Like I was, you know, at Woodstock, you know, when Jimi Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner, you know, like that kind of stuff, just stories. And like John Lennon was my neighbor for, for many years. Uh. So that's one of my things that I have on my list. So there, there's, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and you keep what you but, want but to keep nothing, to yourself. But it's nothing really terribly personal or horrible. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think there's a reason for for doing that. And we for me, we came anyway. into. I enjoy it when I read other people's, but I, I, I just personally don't. I'm a Scorpio. I, I keep a lot of things in, so I, I don't think that <laughs> it's it's right for me. My roommate's a Scorpio. Yeah, they do. Um, and Lynx and I had a similar. I'm attitude. sorry to hear for you. <laughs> <laughs> it works. I'm an Aquarius, so no, we're not easy. That's why Maureen was a very difficult little girl. <laughs> um. But Lynx and I had a similar attitude when we came into the podcast. I remember being a guest on somebody else's episode, and they were trying to get me to dish the dirt, I would say. And I was like, yes, okay. even though, you know, I have a podcast and we talk about, you know, women in music and we talk about muses and we talk about uh, wives and girlfriends and sometimes they share certain things, you know, we're not really comfortable with uh, that like like kind of telling the personal and intimate yeah. you know tell all accounts you know yeah. we like to we respect we can respect privacy we can respect intimate uh relationships and sometimes people put things like that in order to like thinking that that is what's gonna sell but i think that that's not always necessarily the case. You can keep not your stuff always. to yourself and you can also present this also like these wonderful and amazing stories and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And, and I think a lot of it is reality TV. You know, we're used to seeing every single thing people do aside from going to the bathroom. And I'm sure that's been you know shown somewhere. <laughs> so and, and I think that that's what people expect now. They don't just want to hear, you know, oh, I met. Paul McCartney or whatever they they want to hear like oh well you know what did he say to you and what did he eat and you know and I just think that's 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 personal stuff you know I mean if that person doesn't want to put it out there I'm not going to put it out there if they want to fine but I'm not going to be the one to do it that's a that's that's a good way to yeah just whatever you you know you're comfortable with I feel like that's the way to go yeah absolutely absolutely so speaking of television uh, many know you from your time on The Sopranos, where you played oh, yeah. Sylvia's <laughs> wife, Gabriella. What was your experience like working on the show? It, it was interesting because up until then, I had only done live performance. You know, I did dance and theater, and that was it. I never did TV. And, you know, I had a lot of acting training, and I studied with some really, really great people. So, you know, I was prepared for the acting part, but I was not prepared for the whole technical part, you know, I, I always loved the experience of just going out on stage and kind of telling a story from start to finish. And then, then you're done and then you can go back and do it again the next night, maybe a different way. And in TV, I felt it very restrictive. Mm. Um, you know, I know people say you're crazy because theater is more restrictive because you only have that one shot to do it. And, and in TV, they can do take after take after take. But I, I, I found it really restrictive. You know, I, I didn't like having the cameras in my face. I, I, you know, I just didn't like that there was no rehearsal. And, 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 of course, it was, you know, the best show on earth to be involved in because it was so beautifully written and the actors were great. And, you know, we really were a family. Everybody was was great. Um, so in, in that sense, it was a really great experience. And I was really lucky to be there. I mean, for your first TV show to end up on that one, you know, it's all downhill from there. Uh, <laughs> But for me, it, it was a weird experience. It, it kind of was a shock to my body. And I think it took me years before I got used to it. And I, I don't feel like I did my best work on it because I, I think I was I, I always felt uncomfortable. Aww. So if I could go back and do it over again, you know, well, I'd probably do it the same way. But, <laughs> but you would think that maybe I learned something. But but again, it was uh, it's something that, you know, was very, very uh very big for me, very, very important. Still very good friends with people I worked on the show with. I mean, some of my best friends are some of those actors and, and some are in my theater company. Um, so, you know, we, we, some of us have really stayed very close. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, you and Vincent Pastor um, created, is it the Renegade Nation Theater? It's called Renegade Theater NYC. Uh, How's that new role for you? And are you guys going to be producing more in the future? Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been doing things for um, the last several years. We usually, you know, just work in New York at local theaters. We we do play readings, we do plays, we do scene nights, we do one act nights. So we do a variety of really um, really fun different things. We recently did um, a stage reading of a play called Lovers and Other Strangers, which is from the seventies, and we're going to do a full production of that. So we're working on that, um, Vinny has an acting class down at HP studios and I sort of co-teach it with him. So we have a blast doing that because we were working with, you know, beginner actors or actors that are a little more experienced. And so the teaching thing I think is really, um, is something I really, really have gotten to love. And it was something I, I, I've taught acting to ballet dancers before, which I loved. And, And this is a whole different thing, but the teaching thing is, is really a lot of fun for me. Oh yeah. And we have a great time together. Together. And we have a great, great theater company. I mean, I think some of the best actors in New York. And again, we're like a family. It, it's, you know, no drama, no fighting. We not only dramas on stage. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's great. You know, I, I feel really lucky. That's wonderful. I bet you're an amazing teacher. And speaking of which, one of our favorite things about you is how much time and effort you put into the causes that you care about. So you're really working nonstop on some incredible projects. So we were wondering if we could talk about the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation and Teach Rock. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, the thing is, I'm not really that actively involved, and it's really Stevens Foundation, and he has a whole really, really great team Um who, who handle all that stuff. You know, of course I've you know been involved in, you know, fundraising events and things like that. But, um, you know, of course I support it, it uh, you know, immensely. It's, uh, you know, they've written a, a rock and roll curriculum, the history of rock. And it's, it's been introduced in many, many schools and there are many more coming on board. It's, it's really the history of rock and it combines music, but also, uh, what was going on in the world at the, at the time. So it'll take you back to a place and end a time and what music was important then, but it also gives kids the history of what was going on in the world. Like let's say the sixties, the civil rights movement, and then it will address songs that were associated with that. So it really gives kids a, you know, a history lesson as well as a music lesson. And, um, Stephen's upcoming tour is going to be associated with the, the foundation and he's got, he's giving out free tickets to teachers. And they'll come and do a seminar with him and his band before they do the show. And then they see the show that evening because his show is really uh, it really is kind of a history of rock and roll because he has many different genres of music in it. So um, it's going to be great. I I think it's going to be fun to have all those teachers there. That's really, really amazing. And um, uh, we were talking earlier, too, as well, Lings and I, with somebody else about the music curriculum in the United States, because I'm an elementary school teacher in Canada. And I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. um, Right from like the grades primary up to grade six. So like six years old to about 12 years old. Wow. That that's impressive. That I I don't know. I mean, I've taught little kids ballet and it's very difficult. Mm No way. I love you for your patience. Yes. And um, it certainly has its challenges, as you know, all education systems do. But I really love that it's making the learning meaningful, you know, in that in that sense, and just really developing the importance of the arts as well as the science and technology and just having this whole holistic education but absolutely, because, you know, the arts are not in school anymore. I was I was lucky enough to go to a, an arts and music high school, you know, a high school performing arts. And, and um, but, you know, that still exists. But in regular schools now, they've taken out that a lot of that stuff. I mean, I had music class in, in elementary school and I had art class that that doesn't exist anymore. That breaks and my heart. It's heartbreaking. I mean, I don't know how it is in Canada. I don't know if the same sort of thing is going on, but we really, you know, the arts are the first classes that they will cut no, from any, it, any school um, curriculum. So it's really, it's really sad because I think, you know, whether or not, 
you know, kid wants to be an artist, you know, having that in, in their life makes such a difference uh, and informs everything that they do. It does. And um, it's not like that in Canada. We don't have a perfect education system, but we certainly have our students um, with a music teacher a couple times a week. And the music teachers are all so qualified. And like we have rooms of musical instruments. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There was one um, one time before I got like a permanent contract that I was substitute teaching and I was doing drama but it was in the music room and I didn't know what we were doing and the kids weren't uh, really listening to anything about the drama so I just pointed to the piano and I said does anybody know how to play? (laughs) (laughs) That's the best thing that spontaneous thing always brings out the best in everybody Uh, but it's really important because that's great I mean a couple of the other uh, organizations that that we work with there there's one called Little Kids Rock which gives um, musical instruments to kids in underprivileged areas. So we go to schools and we'll deliver, you know, 50 guitars or keyboards or something to kids that, you know, couldn't afford them, couldn't afford lessons. And then they train the teachers to teach the kids how to play them. And it makes such a, you know, really brings tears to your eyes when you see these kids, first of all, getting a guitar for the first time in their life and thinking like, you know, what am I going to do with this? And then you go back three months later and they've learned how to play some stuff and they're starting to write their own songs, you know, th- things that they never thought they would ever do in their life, lives. So it's really, you know, it's very, very rewarding to see that. And, and uh, another group we work with is called Rocket. They are based in New Jersey and, and they work mostly at the Count Basie Theater where we're on the board. Um, they have just a great music Rock, it's really a rock and roll program for kids, and, and these kids are amazing. They're great singers, and they, you know, they play every instrument. And and it's just because somebody cared enough to, to start this program. Mm-hmm. So and, I, re- I really, really support them. And for us who are out of school now, uh, teach rock. You can do online courses, which are awesome. Yes, yes, so. teachrock.org. Uh, yeah, you can find everything online that 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 you want to find, and and it, it's ongoing. I mean, they're still doing, you know, they're updating. They're they're getting into more contemporary music because because what they do a lot is they'll go into school and and they'll have the teacher when they train the teachers. They tell them, ask the kids, what are you listening to now? Like, what's in your on your, you know, your phone now or your iPod or whatever, however you're listening, and they'll tell them, and then they say, okay, well, you know, do you want to know where that came from? And then they will trace the roots back. So maybe, oh, you know, cool. if, they're, if they're listening to yeah. hip hop, they're going to go back to people like Gil Scott Heron and they're going to go back to blues. And, you know, so they they always try to find a way to trace the music back to its roots and its history and show them what was happening and how this developed. So it's, it's just really, you know, it's very stimulating for their minds as well as, you know, that it's fun. At the end of every school year, it doesn't matter what grade the kids were in and especially back when people were listening to cds more um i would always i would make the kids in my class now it's just like a playlist on spotify that i do for them but i make them a playlist of everything that we listened to in our classroom throughout the year and i came you know it's really one of the biggest unifiers of the entire class to make us feel like we're a community and that we have this thing that we share whether absolutely now that's a cool teacher you know (laughs) (laughs) i wish i had that instead of some of the nuns that taught me. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, so speaking of, you know, America right now, uh, we've noticed that you are active on social media and you use that platform to sort of use your voice against issues that are in America right now. Yeah. Um, how are you... Finding, I guess, balance in terms of keeping your mental health in check and just (laughs) trying to trying to stay in that light, just to go towards the light, because it seems pretty heavy. It's really hard. I mean, Trump was elected on my birthday and, you know, we were having a birthday party and, you know, got the news then. So that already (laughs) put a huge downer on my life. But, you know, I think. You know, look, I, I will 
post. I'm only on Twitter. That's the only social media I do. That's all I can handle, I think. Uh, I will post things about Trump and, you know, the government and some of the awful things, uh, you know, the Republicans are doing to our country. I, I will, but I, I can't make it a 24-hour thing because it, it, it really depletes my spirit to do it. So I, I sort of made a decision that I will talk about, you know, that kind of stuff very little. I will talk about animal rights much more because that's something that's really close to my heart. It's nothing to do with politics. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that, that I will, I feel strongly about will post about, but I think that if I'm on social media, it, it's really, I don't see it as a platform for me to air my politics. You know, I'll say something, but I, I'm not going to get into arguments with people and, uh, you know, be talking about Trump all day long. I just think it's very tiresome. It's very boring. And I think it's depressing so I try to talk about music, you know, like, oh, I saw this great new band or I saw this great Broadway show. And, and I think people may think it, that's superficial, but I'd rather bring something positive. Absolutely. Um, you need the balance, there, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I went on Twitter for fun because my friends were on it and we just were fooling around. And now it's become very serious and very politically correct, you know, which I don't like, you know, I don't believe in censorship. And, and uh, it's just, you know, you can't say anything without 50 crazies attacking you. So I, I really pick and choose what I'm going to say. I have to be really, really pissed off to say something, you know, look, I, I support the, these kids in Florida and, and who started this, you know, March for our lives movement. And, um, it, it, I, I just think they're incredible. We got to meet two of them a few weeks ago and I, I was wow. just so impressed, but I didn't go on and talk about it, um, because everybody's talking about it. You know, it's out there. What they're doing is great. I, I support them 100% and hope to be able to go to the march, um, which is March 24th. Um, but I, I, I don't want to dwell on that on that stuff. You know, I say what I have to say. Here's how I feel about it. And I'm, I'm not going to complain. You know, that's what people are complaining all the time, which drives me crazy. You know, I, I don't mind people stating their views and what they think and how horrified they are. But then you know, to be complaining every day, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. You have to go and try to make the change, mm-hmm. you know, register to vote. Like everybody says, go and vote, vote these people out, you know, be a more positive force in the world, help other people. And, and I, I think that, you know, the one thing I think is happening because of all this terrible stuff that's happening in our countries, I, I feel like I see people being nicer to each other oh, in a way nice. and supporting each other. Um, I, I don't know. It's just something that, that I feel is, is in the air. I felt it after 9-11 happened here, after you know, the horrible attack we had in New York. People were nicer to each other. And I, I almost feel like it's kind of happening now because we're all sort of in this together. Mm-hmm. And so I think if any positive thing is to come of it is that I think that we are going to make a change happen because we're, we're so unhappy with what's going on now. It's like what happened in the sixties. You know, I was lucky to have been around then we did change things. That's you know, interesting. We, yeah. Does it feel, it feels sort of the same as it did then? Huh? Uh, it, it does. I mean, I think there are a lot more complex things going on now, but you know, and, and a lot of the issues are still the same, which is horrible. I mean, you know, racism, bigotry, it was terrible back then. It's terrible now. Mm-hmm. And we tried to make some changes. And I mean, look, you know, civil rights movement did accomplish so much, but you know, we're not totally there yet, yeah. but at least we fought for it. You know, we went to the streets and we went to protests and we protested against the war and, you know, all the other, you know, bad stuff that was, that was happening then. And we did get th- make things happen. And I, I, that's why I love seeing what, what these kids are doing now, because I think that they're going to make things happen. I agree. And I hope. I just think talking, we all have to support them. Yeah. And I think just, you know, having this conversation about children in schools, like it's just a common theme that comes up like a lot. And I'm, I am hopeful for our future. And in the meantime, we just have to all keep leading by example and being that change and you know I can you know I can walk into a classroom and I can say this and this and this but the biggest thing is they're watching how you're acting and how you treat other people and how you deal with conflict and how you you know if I want to try and help raise a generation of peaceful and loving and forgiving people that can get along with each other then we need to model it every day in our own lives as well 
Exactly. It's like they said, people won't remember what you said. They won't remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel and how you treated them. Exactly. So I think that, you know, we have to treat people, you know, sounds cliche, how we want to be treated. And, and I think that that would, that would solve many, many problems. So we have something in common. Apparently, you're also a podcaster. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. This is a, a relatively new thing, which is also something I would never, ever had, have done. But um, there was a guy uh, named Josh Accardo. He's a really brilliant comedian and, and actor. He um, he had his own podcast and he asked me, he asked to interview me. I think he's a big, well, I know he's a big Sopranos fan. And I think that's why he wanted to interview me. And he did. And we just really hit it off. And, and you know, we found that we had so much in common, even though he's 20-something, 30 years younger than me, and and he got this idea of doing uh, a radio show or a podcast called Generation Gap, and, and we so we talk about things that, you know, from his point of view, from my point of view, and, and surprisingly, we feel the same way about a lot of stuff. We thought it was going to be a lot of conflict. Well, you know, this is how I think this should be, and, and we kind of, he's sort of, uh, you know, an older soul, maybe, and um, but we, what we do touch on a lot of things that you know, affects millennials and my generation. And we'll do fun things like we'll take the top 10 songs from, let's say, 1969, and we'll put them up against the top 10 songs this week. You and, know, and and we talk about it. And of course, I, you know, really have to restrain myself. But uh, <laughs> but that's the fun of it. And we take, you know, it's, it's a lot of pop culture stuff. It's, you know, a lot of nonsense. But but also, I think we do have some serious conversations um, but, we, you know, we pick fun stories and, and then more serious thing. We like to talk about, you know, the arts, of course, and we discuss movies, books, um, music and a lot of music, I think. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I found out that you had one. And then I went and saw just what the uh, descriptions were of the titles of the podcast and what you were going to be discussing that episode. And I smiled being like, yeah, and it all kinds of it- good. No matter what it says in the description, it always goes off into something else. And it's just funny. We just really work well together. I'm really shy. And I don't like to put myself out there. I don't like to promote myself or anything Mm -hmm. I do. And um, so he's really kind of, you know, brought that kind of fun, you know, aspect in me out, you know, with this show. You know, I just I can't believe that I'm talking about some of the things I'm talking about. We do. We play like role playing. We, you know, like I next show, I think I'm playing Kim Kardashian. God knows what that's <laughs> going to be like, but uh, <laughs> but we do like just silly things like that, you know. And and then we talk about serious things. We talk about you know the women's movement quite a lot and all the you know stuff that's been happening with that, which is enormous. So I, I think we have a pretty good balance, and that's, it's fun. That's so great, and you have a really beautiful voice. So like a, I know you said maybe singing, oh, God, no, I, but this I, like speaking voice. It sounds. It it's is great. really lovely. Um, oh, really? Because uh, I don't. I don't see it at all. I, I cannot listen. I can't even watch myself on TV or listen to myself. So that that's very nice that you say that. No, we let. Yeah, the the listening bit is is really nice. So it's really important to yeah to be playful and to also talk about the things that are important and I think this whole generation gap thing I think just with you speaking to us and us being so interested in you and him as well like I think this is something that's really important to a lot of people right now Mm -hmm. is all of us having these conversations and sometimes keeping it really light because you have to but then also getting into some serious conversation because we have to so yeah that's kind of what we do and and uh you know, I learn stuff from him, you know, and he learns things from me. And, and it's, uh, I, look, I, I think that when you do talk, um, you realize that people aren't all that different, you know, no matter how old they are, or how young they are, they're very basic um, traits that we all have and basic interests and things we care about. And it's just, you know, it's basically the technology, you know, I have to give my phone to my niece if I have to do anything. <laughs> Um, you know, but, and he laughs at me about that stuff and, and I laugh at him about the stuff that he does with all his gadgets and devices. And, you know, it's, 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 it's all fun. I mean, it's always been generation gap, you know, I think, uh, I think it's probably less now, you know, than what we had with our parents because they were really, I think way more conservative and 
they, you know, there just was not that kind of freedom. I think that my generation was probably the first generation that really had freedom, had our own music and our own clothing and things that we were interested in. And, uh, you know, sexual liberation came at that time. And so, so I think, you know, I was lucky to grow up then, but my parents, you know, were, were not that at all. They just did whatever their parents did or wanted them to do. So we kind of changed things, um, in, in that way too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to just say thank you for sharing all of this wonderful stuff with us and uh, opening up about yourself and telling us some great stories that we had no idea that we absolutely love to hear about. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And you're amazing. Oh, does it have to end now? I'm having such a good time. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to end. Okay. So then I'm, we have I'm one more kidding, question. But really, it, it's been really... Okay, okay. <laughs> so just ending on this idea of like, what brings you joy? What is like your ideal day? What is, what, what just brings you absolute joy? My ideal day? Yeah. Is that, is that what you said? The, yeah. the sounds kind of broke up for a sec. Um, my ideal day is spending time with my dog, um, walking around Greenwich Village, taking a ballet class, listening to music, um, watching The Crown on TV or mm-hmm. Mad Men. Nice. Um, yeah, just really, you know, and also, you know, I like I said, I've started to really grow to love teaching people. So, you know, I, I love working with young artists. So I, I would say that would probably be the, you know, one of the best parts of my day. That and my dog. My dog is always the best. What kind of dog? And of do you course, have? I'm I'm not leaving not leaving my husband out here because, of course, I think that's understood. But I'm talking about days. I don't I don't see him that much. He's always out working. So <laughs> I'm talking about a day on my own. I have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Aww. Was, uh, she's she's a little little princess. She's she's a beauty, and um, she was she was a gift to me from uh, actually a musician friend of mine, um, and uh, you know, best gift I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah, they're or, like the best therapy. They they give like so much love. Having an animal around is the best thing anyone could have. Oh yeah, just it kind of makes you forget a lot of things. You know, I, I come into the house sometimes really stressed, and I see that little face, and I'm like, you know, who cares yeah. <laughs> about anything else? So yeah, they they do. I mean, they've been proven to have really, you know, serious health benefits for people. And you know, aside from that, just the, you know, the the psychological aspect and they, they just they give you love they don't really expect anything from you it's like we should all be like them Except you know they're they're, yeah. they're more highly evolved than we are you know yeah we're both animal lovers and so yeah i think your, oh, good, good, your, good. your day that you said there sounds beautiful for me i would just add in probably something sweet like some like a chocolate cake or something <laughs> and then oh and then yes 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 and then i can go to definitely bed yeah, well, de- definitely. I, I wasn't thinking about the food part of it, but yeah, that it would definitely be, be, be some kind of sweets. I think Shanti's <laughs> I, hungry. <laughs> me, me too. I, I've always been a huge chocolate addict, and then my doctor told me I had to stop eating it because I, it was bothering my stomach. So I, I, I started sneaking it back again, and you know, so far so good. So but, I started but I was seeing a new it. doctor. Yeah, yeah, I know. I got rid of the doctor, <laughs> but I, I was eating it every day, you know, and and. Um, my doctor's like, you know, that's one of the reasons why you have a, you know, sensitive stomach. It's yeah. it's not really good for you. So, but anyway, I I think it is good for me. So I, <laughs> I, I'm back. I'm back on it again. I'm back off the wagon, as they say, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maureen, this has been like such a joy for us. This is like our perfect day. Oh, yep. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. It's so lovely to talk to you. And, you know, anytime you want to do it again and want to hear other stories, I, I, I would love to, to talk to you guys. Absolutely. You guys are great. Oh, amazing. Music to our ears. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And I'm coming up to your, your town in yeah. a couple of weeks. So next week, actually, Sunday. So if you have maybe any time we to will... hang. Yeah, that would be great. I, I will get in touch if I do. I don't, I don't know how crazy it's going to be once I get there, but I, I think there should be some time. Maybe we can have a tea and some chocolate or something and, and um and talk about music. Amazing. Oh, that would be so wonderful. Thank cool. you so much. Enjoy uh, the rest you of both. your day. Yeah, you we'll too. Be, we'll be in touch soon. 
Absolutely. And we'll peace and love. <laughs> peace, love, rock and, and chocolate. roll. Yes. And yeah. chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.